2020 was a rough year for a lot of people, uh, but for me, it was uh, pretty significant. Um, my relationship of nine years ended, Oy. and then I immediately got COVID. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty bad, man. And I sat around depressed. I couldn't see anybody. It was a pretty dark time. Uh, but to make myself feel better, I started doing these TikTok live streams where I'd sit at my piano and take like song requests from people just to like have something to do while I'm sitting alone and depressed. And um, the songs uh, I was getting requested to do, some of them uh, people were screen recording and then reposting. A couple of them started going viral. Wow. They were just covers of, you know, different songs. And that ended up attracting um, Greg Collins, the uh, Grammy award-winning producer of U2 and No Doubt and a bunch of other amazing people. Never heard of he, them. Yeah. He, uh, Never he, heard of those bands. He watched... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he watched me and was like, hey, man, maybe we should do an album. And... Uh, wow. I, I got to start working with all these incredible people on on making my first album. And I would have never... I don't feel like I would have ever done that if I hadn't uh, gone through a, a situation like that. So, you know, it, it just... Uh, extends my career into uh, different avenues that I wasn't really uh, looking for at the time. And honestly... I don't know if I would have recorded an album if I hadn't gone through all of that, uh, you know, heavy stuff. So we can all basically thank COVID for this album. <laughs> you bet. Maybe I should call it the COVID album. I don't know. You could release COVID 1 through 19. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if there are not 19 tracks on this album, I'm doing something wrong. I'm Jack Hergeth. And I'm Stephen Kramer Glickman. And this is Never Surrender. The show where we sit down with the most successful people in the entertainment industry to talk about failure and how they pushed through it and never gave up. Because we've all failed. We've all had setbacks. Yeah, we've all questioned whether to keep going. But at some point, everybody struggles. Yeah, I mean, I've been let go from some of my favorite jobs. You and me both. We just hope that by listening to this podcast, it will help give you the strength to never surrender. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This person has a career that spans over two decades in music. She made history by becoming the youngest solo artist to reach number one on the Billboard Pop Charts at the age of 13 and released her self-titled debut album, JoJo, soon after. In 2020, she won her first Grammy for Best R&B Song for Say So, her collaboration with PJ Morton. She was also chosen to sing the official anthem, The Change, 
for Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign. But she's been through a lot as well. I mean, there was even a time where she felt like her career was completely over. But she kept on making music, pushed through, and never surrendered. This is JoJo. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only JoJo is here. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Wow! So awesome to have you on the show. What I'm a happy to be here. It's a big honor. You know, and you know you... what? We're happy to have you here. Oh, thank you. We, oh, we really welcome. are. We really are. We really you're, are. You're such a phenomenal artist and such a just a, a phenomenal singer, and you've been. Uh, you've been phenomenal for a long time. I'm going to use that word a lot about you. Oh my you. gosh! Uh, uh, how how did you get started? Where did you where did you grow up? Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Let's go right to the beginning. Where did you grow up? All right, taking it back. I was born in Vermont. Shout out Bernie Sanders. <laughs> no. um, and then, hey, I've been to the uh, Ben and Jerry's ice cream factory there. Have you ever been? I haven't been. Oh, I, because I've been. I really Downtown Burlington. I haven't really been back to Vermont since I was born. Okay. So, really? yeah, it was just a quick in, in and out, quite literally. You okay. know, just get out the womb. And then we, <laughs> we moved all around New England. Um, and I grew up mostly in uh, south of Boston. And I've been singing as long as I can remember. My Both my parents sang. And I wanted to sound like the people I heard around me, which was my mom. She had a beautiful, she still has a beautiful voice and like the divas I grew up listening to. So I always had kind of a sharp ear. Yeah. I think I heard somewhere that you were singing for the ladies down at the uh, hair salon or the nail salon or something like that. That's right. They, uh, and I'll still see them around town when I go back home to, to Foxborough for the holidays and stuff. And they're like, do you remember when, you know, you would sing for a dollar? And I'm like, yep, I was hustling even then because <laughs> I'd be like, what's your favorite song? Or, or what Aretha Franklin song do you want to hear me sing? Or I, and I would make them pay me. And, and it really is uh, no joke to say that you were successful early on. You were offered your first record deal at what six years old? I, it was Something more like, like that? eight or nine, okay. but still absurdly young. That's very, very young. Now, walk us through how you go from because look, we we live in a world where there's lots of people that are singing and doing mm-hmm. things. How how do you how does something like that happen? How does that happen to you? Well. I don't know how it happens these days because now like people are discovered on TikTok well, and yeah, discovered no, no, no. but but for me yeah it was um just more like I was singing for anybody who would listen so anybody I could get myself in front of like I said I was a strange precocious very driven little girl and I went to like my first big concert which was Kiss 108 concert which is the top 40 station in Boston I won tickets like called in and had it in my mind that I would sing my way backstage. And my mom let me do this, like not by myself. She held my hand through it. But Britney Spears was performing in sync. This was, this had to be like 2000. Oh my God. In 2000, I would have been nine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to be like 99, 2000. So I started singing for the security guards and, and like the first one, I was like, I really want to go backstage and meet the artists and they're like yeah sure that makes sense you should and then I sang for about four different people until I made it to Britney Spears's dressing room and um wow what kind of security was that not very good (laughs) god yeah seriously and I was this is in Boston yeah oh my god at the tweeter center it was in Mansfield that was the venue wow that's amazing and um 
so sang for her and her manager, Larry Rudolph. And they explained that they were like starting a production company and looking to sign artists. And then within, I think, a month, there was a contract that, you know, seeing if Holy I wanted to, to be a God. part of that. What? And... But my mom was like, no, bitch, you are nine. <laughs> so she didn't say that, but that was definitely the, the vibe. So I thought she was trying to ruin my life. I'm like, this is my big shot. Long story short, I kept being just as driven. I would even put hats out on the street if we'd be in the city in Boston and Providence. And I would like, and people would gather around and I would sing. Um, and wow. yeah. I mean, God, so what, did, what did Brittany have to say when you're in her dressing room singing for her like what was her reaction and also to make did you it... want to like sign you right there in the spot or like how, how did that yeah how did that work I, mean, out? I, I don't i don't quite remember if it uh-huh. was her wanting to sign me right there in the spot but like she wouldn't <clears throat> let me go she just not in a weird way but she was and and she was super young and passionate and excited and i think she was just touched to see such a young girl singing her songs in her own way you know i put my own spin on on her songs. What did you sing? Do you remember what you said? I don't sang? remember, but probably you, Baby One More Time or well, I don't remember, yeah. Mm-hmm. For something like that to happen, it's 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 kind of an outrageous thing. I mean, you know, as now as a as an adult, you know, performer, if if you heard that a kid sang their way backstage, you'd be like, "What are you talking yeah, about?" Yeah, it, it is outrageous. That's a good word for it. Yeah. It's weird and and it's never happened to me. Like I I'm trying to think of I mean, <clears throat> I have been really floored by some people's talents, like uh, who who will make their way to me. And I always I love to see that like eye of the tiger and that that courage so and driven. the commitment that it takes that drive. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it does remind me of when I was a, a kid. So. But um, yeah, it's pretty weird. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend yeah. <laughs> that you do that. It's kind of dangerous. But thankfully, my mom was like hawk-eyed on me and right. never let anything weird happen well i tried to get backstage yeah. at a britney spears concert once and they were like it was no. a different reaction yeah totally different vibe no sorry like, what if i sing, sing for you they're like that? no you're no, some weird get, old dude like please not letting out you out back here sorry <laughs> <laughs> then i was led out of the building <laughs> that's crazy. really so, funny so three years from that i ended up i did sign a record deal at 12 years old um wow that's so Whoa. crazy what <laughs> Now, where did you sign at, at 12 years old? I signed to a label called Blackround, and that was the label that Aaliyah's uncle made for her because she was so young when she started. And um, I had been around to a bunch of different labels. Th- this manager took me and my mom under his wing and, you know, kind of whisked us into this life that I had never seen before because we come from a real humble background. And I mean, I'm flying, I flew on a private plane for the first time. I went from sharing a room with my mom and her cleaning houses for a living to like all this wild stuff. Yeah. So <clears throat> within within a few months, we decided to go with Blackground um, because they had the experience of turning Aaliyah into a superstar, and I, we didn't even realize she was fourteen when she started. Wow. So that was it. Just felt like family. Now, did, was there um, any pressure? Did you was there any pressure from like Disney or from Nickelodeon? Did these places? come try did they try to find you at any point in time yeah i had some very serious meetings over there and like fun meetings and them wanting to do different things but i hated how young i was and i didn't want to be seen as that young and and i didn't want to be associated with something that would like i felt pigeonhole me especially with how grown my first single was leave get out like i I just wanted to be 
grown. I li- I wanted to lie about my age and say I was 16. And they were like, no, you're 13. It's cool. I'm like, damn, I'm so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I know. Like, didn't at some point, didn't Disney Channel try to bring you in for Hannah Montana? Was that part of? Yeah, there were some talks about it. Mm-hmm. Good God. Now, like, are you happy? Do you Are you happy that, like, you didn't go and, and do that show? I think my bank account would look a lot heftier <laughs> if I did that. But, um... I stand behind all the all the decisions I've made with well, my because life. Because you're such a you're such a talented artist, and at at no point did you have to break. It doesn't feel like at, at any point in time did you have to be like like break away, like break an image, right? To change and be something else. No, I haven't had to do that. Totally shatter an image. No, no, I just is, had to like awesome. break through my own mental shackles and like insecurities and things like that but i think that's most people you know when they're when we're trying to find our footing but no i didn't really have to like go against a a system yeah didn't have to break a mold like that yeah now your mom was your manager right what was that like going from having your mom like just doing like everyday mom mom things. things and then suddenly she's you know handling your business um she did a great job but it was not appropriate. Like in in retrospect, I'll just be hundred percent. Like because when we're we're coming from the the humble background that we come from, and, and that's such a weird way to put it. But like I'm just saying, we it's not like we come from like we don't know lawyers, we don't know like business people. We of just course. like we come from a, a small town, and um, she we you know she read the book Everything You Need to Know About the Music Industry and felt like we would she she, she knew we needed help and. Um, so we had lawyers in place and everything, but then we ended up getting burned and realizing that lawyers can sometimes be in, in bed and, or in cahoots with a label. So I think her intentions were so incredibly good, and she did a great job of making sure that my education came first, making sure that I was going to be an, a full person at the end if I wanted there to be an end you know, of this. And um, I graduated with a 4.0 because she didn't let me drop out. I wanted to say I wanted to drop out of high school. I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm famous. Who gives a, you know, (laughs) and she was like, no. Uh, And I really appreciate that now in retrospect, because she treated me like a daughter and not a product ever. And and, and did that mean that I lost out on, you know, making more money? Yes, because she wouldn't allow me to like say do a late night show in um, LA and then fly and do another show in New York. She was like, you're not going to get enough sleep, you know? And that's pretty rare. My mom is a, an amazing woman. Wow. Um, but I just don't think that uh, this, this industry is not for sensitive people. No, it's sure. not. And you know what? It's so difficult for parents. Like I, I have a, a family that I'm that I, I'm friends with. Uh, You're friends with a family. I'm friends with this family oh. <laughs> uh, that, that where their their son is a very very talented actor, and mm-hmm. so sometimes when he's auditioning for stuff, like I'll I'll help out or, or help him go over his stuff, and the, but this family they're they're struggling financially, mm-hmm. and they got to a place where the kid was up for a job that paid ten thousand dollars a week. And was a thirty episode lock in of thirty episodes of ten grand a week, and which would change every single aspect of their family's life financially. Yes. And watching the pressure that this family put on this kid, 
was I had to do everything in my power as as a friend to be like, you're doing it wrong. Stop mm. telling the kid he's going to get the part. Like, stop telling him that he deserves it. Stop telling. Oh, there's like, no deserve. No, none of that works for this. Mm. Like, and <clears throat> and it was, and then he didn't get the part. And it was. And then that's devastating. And then you stopped being his friend. Yeah, which no, was really yeah. Weird. <laughs> I was like, I was like, get out of my life, kid. No, you but, loser. Yeah, but it was friends with you. It was rough because then suddenly that kid felt the responsibility for his entire family. Look, and you're I, like, I can, I can only imagine for you. Like, I can, I can relate. I, I'm an only child, and it was really just me and my mom. And she never put any pressure on me. I know she really did her best, but I absolutely felt like I was responsible for keeping us afloat. And even when she would be like, I want to take you out of this industry this is no longer good for you like what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose himself like she was just feeling all these things and uh i was like no 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 who's gonna take care of me us if it's not me i felt very um i i don't remember feeling like a child ever actually to be honest with you i had a lot of masculine energy and a lot of big adult energy for sure because i felt like a provider it's yeah. a lot of pressure to have at at 13 years old to feel like you're you've got to support your family, you've got to support your mom, you have to support yourself. That's a it lot was of mad fun though. I, I mean, like yeah. I don't want to I don't want to forget that part. I was sure. having sure it's what I wanted, but then reality does sink in at a certain point, and you're like, oh, okay, so I gotta this is real life. So you know, speaking speaking of mad fun, yeah. um, you said you came from humble beginnings. So what was the first thing you went out and bought yourself once uh, you had oh my some money God. coming in? Oh, my God. So I had a, a credit card. As the kids say, Cheddar, right? That's what the kids say these days? Do kids say Cheddar? <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, we were living in New Jersey when I recorded my first album. And like I had a sidekick you know, the phone, the sidekick. And then yeah. I also had like a flip phone because I needed two phones because I was just, you know, had my <laughs> trap phone, whatever. So like got myself a sidekick. That was, that was cool. But I then you, mean, you like had a literal sidekick, like a little person no. following you around. <laughs> the first big thing I purchased though, and I got in so much trouble. I had a credit card at 13 or 14 and I walked to this jewelry shop near where we lived in Edgewater, New Jersey. And I bought, um, a chain. I mean, I bought like a diamond cross and I think I bought something else too. I've had this watch that I'm wearing right now since I was 14 or 15 as well. Um, but I bought, I, I spent probably $5,000 on something and my mom took both my phones away and grounded me and like, didn't let me do anything. And I had the number one song in America. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but I was like, I have to be iced out, ma. <laughs> oh my God. Is that weird? I got in so much trouble. Is that weird wow. having the number one song in America, but yet but you're, grounded. you're being grounded by your mom? Oh my God, like, it was so embarrassing. That's how be a weird dynamic, though. Oh, it was very strange. She, I think maybe, maybe I'm dramatizing this, but she might have thrown my phone in the Hudson River. I don't remember. <laughs> Either way. I did go to Target and get a new phone. Because Good for you. How, how can you... I, f- I feel bad for her, you know, trying to parent somebody who's who has all this access, yeah, and um, and everybody just trying to say yes. This shit is really hard. Now, this song that was the number one hit. Uh, now, as a singer, do you get asked a, a lot to do that first song? That, oh yeah, yeah. Do, do you still do it? I do. W- I mean, would you consider 
because uh, you know we have fans uh, that listen to the show from all different places. <laughs> would you say? Would you sing like a line? Would you do a line for oh us? Oh my god! Uh, just a t- uh, just a tiny <clears throat> bit for for fans who who <clears throat> are a fan <laughs> who who fans uh, fans of our podcast that are fans of you, but then also for the fans that, that uh, are learning. I also want to add that there could be somebody in this room right now who's a huge. Uber fan, mm. perhaps. Okay, yeah. I'm not gonna mention her name. <laughs> <laughs> it would go like, um, "I've been waiting all day for you, babe. So won't you come sit and talk to me? You tell me how we're gonna be together always." How could you say that at 13? What the fuck <laughs> oh was I talking about? Oh my God, that was so great. That, that was amazing, by the way. That you was awesome. Amazing. That was amazing. Oh, thanks, guys. Wow. Wow. Wowza. What a yeah, voice. That was really cool. <laughs> That's so that was very special. Cool. Now, did you write that song? No. Or did, so someone else wrote that Yeah, these for amazing you? Swedish people. They, uh, Soul Shock and Carlin. I, I, they, they may be, maybe they're not Swedish, maybe, but some part of Scandinavia. They, um, they've had a lot of hits prior to that and since then. And um, that was a song that I'm just honestly very lucky that I got to cut. Have you written a lot of, uh, have you written songs for yourself? Yes, yes. Really? Every, everything since, I mean, I actually wrote three songs on my first album when I was 12. So wow. I'd, I've been writing for a long time, but um, I think that first experience of like, so I, I didn't, I didn't understand leave, get out. I, I didn't, it, to me, it was way too poppy for me because I, I always considered myself a soul singer m- way more in the R and B vibe. So when it, when it went where it went, I was like, Oh, so I should just not trust myself. Right. Like, so I, maybe I'm not, Maybe I don't know how to write a hit song. Like, this is just kind of information, feedback that I took on. And, but that never really stopped me from later on, particularly, like, really developing as a songwriter and as a collaborator and a co-writer. And it's something, it's, I think it's one of my strongest uh, qualities now, which is which is great. Amazing. So then, okay, so then you end up, uh, you end up at this label, mm-hmm. right? You you already explained to us why that label was the the move, but then you get there, uh, and it, it's it, it's a a very tough label. They they there was a lot of they messed they messed with you a lot, and they didn't they weren't very. Uh, uh, that was later on. That was know? later on. That wasn't that was, right away. It wasn't right away at all. Okay, so uh, how how did that kind of go down? What what was it like being at that label? I'll say that it's. It was just maddening because contractually I didn't own my voice. They were no longer a functioning record label after my second album. So first two albums, great. This was family to me. These were my father figures, my uncle figure. This was family. And they, they changed my life. And I really thought that we were building something that could last forever. That's, yeah. that's what I wanted. Because both my mom and I come from broken homes. And I think we were subconsciously 
seeking, you know, the family. Yeah. The production company was even called the family. So <laughs> we were like, yeah, this is great. Um, <clears throat> just eventually it turned into something that we were not familiar with. There was just some scary business dealings going on. Um, really? Some, yeah, but I had to remove myself from the situation because I was going to be, I, I couldn't go down with a burning ship. If they were no longer a functioning label and they could not put out music, I was not going to allow myself to be silenced with them. So, you know, and if I couldn't be let go, then I needed to take legal action and, and remove myself. How old were you at this time? I filed my first lawsuit at eight, at 18. Okay. And um, so I had already done, um, I had already done some acting and there was some upset that they weren't uh, brought into the fold to make money off of that as well. And just a lot of things going on behind the scenes that, that made me fearful and that made me be like, I've never seen this side of how oh, shit can the, go down. That's the worst. Like It was a bummer. When you when you have a, a great relationship with a company or with people and then you get to see a bad side of them and it ruins it, it's just the... Ugh. I Yeah, I think it really affected... Because I was at such a young, impressionable age and I already had the type the relationship that I had with my father which was up and down inconsistent because that's just what you get when someone is an addict so I think to have the relationships that I had with these these men who were like family to me it, I can't even overstate how much it messed with me as a young woman you know oh absolutely just like my faith in men I'm like all y'all are horrible oh yeah <laughs> so wow that's that's uh, not a good lesson to learn yeah. ever. You know right. what I'm saying? At a, at a young age especially, but that's a hard lesson. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very difficult. A lot more to come with JoJo after this break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com So yeah. I filed the first lawsuit at 18, and then it was about four or five years until I was able to get out of that. And and then from there, I was like, okay, let's sign another record deal so I can just keep going. So what were you doing during that four-year stretch where you weren't... I was drinking a lot. Okay. <laughs> no, I was um, really focused on trying to maintain my sanity. Sure. And But I was also recording constantly. I have... 
I don't think I've ever taken more than a five month break from from writing and recording. I I made so many versions of a, a third album that never came out, and I turned them in, and they were like, no. Um, and, oh, and I God, was saying no be... because they didn't like it, or yeah. because they weren't set up to be. Able they weren't to... set up to oh, be able to do it, but geez. but perhaps because they didn't like it. Like Ugh. I'll never really have clarity on that, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter <sighs> anymore. Right, sure. So no, so I've let not, go but... of all that material. Um, but it's just wow. it was very emotionally taxing, and I felt absolutely insane. Like I just felt totally crazy. Um, so I did in that time though. I was able to release music for free and I took a page out of what I saw people in hip hop doing because people weren't in in the pop world. People weren't putting on mixtapes when I started doing that. So I I think it was maybe 2010 or 2009. I put out my first one. Can't take that away from me, which was kind of a direct statement to the label being like, this is my relationship with my fans. It has nothing to do with you guys. So I started putting out music for free on the Internet. Um, I also like was really inspired by this Drake song called Marvin's Room. And I wrote my own version to it. And that got like it went absolutely crazy on the internet. Oh, yeah. And that, millions and millions of people listen to And that it. was a shift, I think, in people's perception of me. They're like, oh, she's she's saying the F word. She's talking about having sex and stuff. Oh, she's she's not a child anymore. So I think I let my music kind of speak for where I actually was. Yeah. Uh, during this time, during the lawsuit, were you afraid, like, oh, my God, is this going to affect my career in any way? Yeah. Am I, is it going to be over? Am I, you know, kind of... Yeah, I mean, I was having thoughts, am I over at 21? You know, at Mm -hmm. 20, I was thinking, what should I do? Like, am I just going to, just what am I going to do? Because I already put off going to college. I I committed to Northeastern University. I was going to go for sociology. And then I moved to L.A. instead of staying in Boston to try to make things work with my label because I wanted to put out a third album. I'm like, I'm only going to be young once and college will be there. And um, so I I was just like, did I make the wrong choice? We all wonder if, if we're making the right decisions with our life. Um, and to me, the stakes just felt so high because I'm like, if I don't make this work for myself, I don't have a cushy family to fall back on. I don't have a home to go back to. Now, so many people have it much worse than me. But when it's you, you're just like, I got to I got to make this this work. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I definitely was like. I, I know this is affecting my career. How do I make the best out of this situation? And how do I take care of myself so when I can be let out the gate, I can be ready? Now, how, I had to keep believing that there course. was something to be ready for. Your, sure. your fans have been very vocal and uh, seem to always have your back mm-hmm. throughout all of this. Uh, what, what, did, what type of effect does that have on your... Uh, on your motivation or self-esteem as you kind of have gone through so much? It's been like, I don't know how this sounds, but it's been like the backbone of my motivation, for real. Because I think social media has been such a cool way for me to know that there are people out there who love my music. Because if it weren't for social media, I might just feel... 100% just like unsupported and unheard and all all these things but when I was in the lawsuit they started a free Jojo movement and like hashtag free Jojo I saw that everywhere they would come out to the concerts with oh thank you girl (laughs) come out to the concert with posters saying free Jojo and they made their own merch and all these things and 
they really kept me going <clears throat> when I questioned if I could keep going. But then I'm like, oh, I can't let my fans down. These these people are amazing, and they really believe in me. And they're telling me I've changed their lives and that my music affects them, and they're listening, and they want more. And that gave me the courage to keep going when I really felt like uh, a total shell of myself, like when I just had no more fight left because I wanted to continue my journey with them. Now, you know, fans can be uh, incredibly helpful, um, but also there's other things that people do mm-hmm. to, to deal with uh, going through the highs and lows of, of uh, whatever industry you kind of choose to be a part of. I have a therapist that I go and Me see. Too. That I, do you have one that, I do. that you that you like? Yeah, I've, I've spoken to her for probably 10 years. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's incredible. I mean... <laughs> I, look, I, look I, I had a therapist that I was going to for a long time. Uh, he, he quit. Uh, he quit he on quit. you? He quit on me. Oh uh, this goodness. is 100% true. I was, well, I, I used to do a lot of stupid things with him. Like I was talking, one time I was sitting and talking <laughs> like to him. Like what? Please tell us. I was sitting and talking to him about my girlfriend and in the middle in, in the middle of it, he was like, well, she sounds you know lovely. And I was like, you want to see a picture? And he was like, sure. And I showed him a picture of Queen Latifah. And that's not my girlfriend. He didn't think that was funny. He did not think it was funny, and I thought it was funny. And then I, I did that. I would, I would do that constantly to him, like in, like I, we would be working on stuff, and then I would like try. I would, you know, comedians, we try to like make a joke out of stuff, and so I would, I would joke about things, and uh, he did not like it. And then one day I called in for a session, and he was like, "Oh, I, I quit. I don't do that anymore. I, I quit the business. I'm not in that uh, business oh, so anymore. Yeah, I'm doing something else now." And, uh, and oh, and I was like, I was like. Oh, so he quit the business. Okay. And then I drove by his office one day and he was walking out of his office, out of his psychology office. <laughs> and I was like, I thought you quit, you son of a bitch. I can't quit you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now I have a a, a, a good therapist that, that isn't going to quit. So well, my therapist might be on the verge of quitting on me. I don't know. <laughs> she, no, I don't know. She's, she's really amazing. And it's just nice to have a sounding board that is totally impartial. Yeah. Oh my God. So helpful. So, yeah, that's been that's been great. And and it's also nice that she's been able to like remind me of my progress, of how far I've come with, mm. with my own like wellness or my own the right? way I handle yeah. things. Because she's like, you are not the Joe that's fighting you know your boyfriend in the street anymore. <laughs> You're not, you know, right. the one who's just angry at the world. You are not the one who hates all men. You are not, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, sure. Yeah. So well, it's oh, good fantastic. to have, like you're saying, it's good to have an impartial audience to go to, whether it's once a week or once a month, or yes. however often you go, yeah. um, to sit and, you know, talk about things and, you know. So, what I'm trying to say, I guess, it's good. It's good to have a therapist to go to and, you yeah. know, talk to. And talk I feel very fortunate. With. And I, then I, show, I, you know, your pictures of uh, Queen Latifah, too. And Absolutely. Please do. Please. Oh, that's tough. Please pull that in uh, in your next session. Oh, my God. <laughs> you're like, I'm seeing someone new. <laughs> <laughs> might come from left field, but... Uh, I'm really in love. It's Queen Latifah. <laughs> it's Queen Latifah. Uh, okay, so now um, Taylor Swift is uh, re- in, the process. Re- in the process of re-recording yes. her albums. Uh, you've actually done that on two occasions. Yes, I re-recorded my first two albums. So when I see people online being like, give me back the original versions, I'm like, they were never there. They were not on streaming services. And that's because... Well, from what I understand, my former label didn't make a deal with streaming services. So no black round artist has their music on streaming services, meaning Aaliyah, myself, Static, Tank, 
anything that was under that contract period, Timbaland and Magoo, Tony Braxton. Um, so I saw that there was a loophole in the contract that would allow me to like make new masters because they own those masters, those original masters. So I put my own money up and re-recorded the first two albums as close to the original as possible. Of course, I don't have a 12-year-old or 15-year-old voice anymore, um, but I wanted to give my fans the nostalgic experience that they wanted to have because it's just super whack that you can't listen to my first two albums. So I did it out of necessity. And Well, how, how do you do that, though? Like, how do you re-record those songs? You too? go into a studio. No, no, no. I don't mean that. Musicians. I mean, did you do you have to buy the rights to the song? No, all I Or did do... you just have to license the, the song to re-record it? How do you it's do that? It's just about... Um, giving credit to those who have publishing on it and i don't know about the licensing i don't think it was that but i just created completely new masters so i had my musical director like find the sounds that were as similar as possible to the original things and then replay this all the live stuff and then i went in and re-recorded every single background every single ad lib and everything so we did about two songs a day for two weeks. Whoa! Wow. What? Because I was, um, I think I was in the middle of tour. I forget exactly when it was, but it was just everything from the ground up. And I'm very, very thankful because I. It is scary to like put your money into something that I didn't even know if people really would respond to it or understand the necessity of it for me because my music. I was. I just felt like my history was being deleted right in front of me and it was sure. very upsetting oh my God, um, of course. but i ended up making that money back very quickly Great. so I'm, I'm very thankful that's so cool but you had been hearing from fans too about how they couldn't access yeah. those albums and so that was also an impetus for you to do that too correct that was totally the the impetus for it because i was tired of seeing that they're like why did you take your music off of spotify i'm like it was never there, from my understanding. I think there might be, there was like a ripped version of Leave and of Too Little Too Late and of Baby It's You. There were some like ripped versions that were not official, that were not coming from the, from like the highest quality or something. I, I, mm. I'm, it's confusing actually, I don't, I don't know. But I felt upset that I couldn't be in control of my stuff being out there. Sure. So I wanted to do something to remedy that and this was the closest, this was the best case scenario. And were you offering those songs up for free or nope. online? Okay. <laughs> no, okay. I was okay. putting them up for sale. Okay. Just like any others, any other person's uh, music would be consumed that way. Sure. So available for streaming and available for, you know, I just wanted to put it on all the platforms. So iTunes, Tidal, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you consume music. I wanted my, anybody who wanted to listen to JoJo songs to be able to. In the way that they should. Well, and so, what was it like so revisiting? You're so cool, JoJo. <laughs> That's so cool. Oh my god! What Amazing. was it like for you revisiting those songs? Did it kind of take you back to, you know, being 13 again, 14, and yeah, know, but that? also like thinking about what those lyrics were. Uh, they apply to me way more now than they did then because mm-hmm. I was saying some super grown stuff, and I had never been heartbroken by a, a, a lover when I, you know, did too little, too late, for example, or something like that. So now I can I could was able to put my actual adult emotion into oh, it. Oh, and your fans must have been so happy. They too. were so happy. Oh, the response so actually blew my mind because I was like, "Am I 
a weirdo for doing this? You know, it's I, I just wanted to make sure that people didn't think that I was just like obsessed with my own voice and just wanted to like re-sing my songs because I'm so not like that at all. It was truly something that I felt um, I needed to do to, to be able to move forward. Right. And did you walk out of those sessions going like, Nailed it on the first take, or was it just like a painstaking <laughs> it was pretty you know, painstaking. process for you? Yeah. Like, I want to get this as close as yes. possible. Yeah, because uh-huh. I didn't want to just like stroke my own ego and like make these into totally new songs in, in a way that I enjoyed them more. Sure. I really wanted to give my fans what they wanted, which was the original things. Sure. So I was, I did, I was quite um, meticulous about trying to get it to sound as close while still showing myself the respect of being like, well, I I, I do have a different voice Mm -hmm. and I am a different woman. Yeah. 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 I I have a quick question for you. So the, uh, the music industry has changed so much since you started in it. How do you, uh, how do you navigate it now as, as an adult? Is this, is this the, the way to do it through Instagram and through following your your own path and and kind of carving it out yourself. Like, do you have to let a label know that you're that you're doing something when you decide to do it? Like, how what's the what's the path? I have a really dope partnership right now with Warner Records and uh, Aaron Bashuk, who's the chairman and CEO. He has been a part of my life for like seven years. He actually signed me right after I got out of Blackground um, to Atlantic. So we've been trying to to put out a project together for a long time. Wow. And so I feel really fortunate that when I want to do something, all I have to do is, because it's a partnership, things... I, there are purse strings that, that aren't mine and there are budgets that need to be approved and everything. But I can call my homie, Aaron, and be like, this is important to me and here's why. And I feel understood. I feel supported. And and vice versa, if there's something that he thinks I should try, we have that relationship and that trust. Um, but I do think that navigating the music industry now, you have to be authentic to yourself. We as consumers, because I am a music lover before anything, we don't accept... Um, formulaic. We don't accept the factory line thing that, like, that pop star, that you, that that old way of doing things of like the late '90s or whatever. Like, you authenticity is a necessity. If if it's not resonating as true, I don't think it's going to connect. So that's why people love in, engaging with the artists on live stream and on TikTok, getting to know their personality because they they want to know. It's just a different type of relationship. Like that mystery is gone. I remember that even when I came out in 2004, when I was 13, it was all about all about being mysterious and all about like keeping things and not let not ha- not letting anybody know that you have a personal life or that just all this stuff that totally doesn't apply now. So you you have to stay stay malleable, I guess, or just you have to be ready to to grow. You just have to keep growing with it. Yeah. Yeah. You also, your fans, a lot of them have grown up with you. Yeah. And and you're a big, significant part of their life. So, you know, if it's 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 nice to be able to connect with yeah. them that way. And it's and, very special. Yeah. To it's me, really cool. And being able to like see people that are tweeting me from uh, whatever city I'm in, and then putting a face with that handle. 
is, is always exciting. I'm like, oh my God, you're the one that said that wild thing today. Or you're the one that sent me that funny gif. It's just, it's cute. So when are we making a movie about your life? When does that movie happen? <laughs> it kind of should happen. I, I feel you. It should yeah. happen. It's interesting. I need to write down my life first and then maybe base it on that. I don't know, man, but I have so much more to live and so much more to do. 16 years into my career is the first time I ever went to the Grammys. So, like, I I have a lot more to do. And you won! I have a lot more to do. I mean, come on! And to go (laughs) back to your Grammy award, do you feel redeemed now a little bit just from all the ups and downs in your career? It was a very validating experience to, um, to be able to be around my peers and to feel like, uh, yeah, yeah, I would say redeeming is a is an appropriate a word. word. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, before, as we wrap things up on this, uh, one one question I wanted to throw out to you is: a lot of people, a lot of your fans, uh, listen to your music to inspire them and to help them feel good and and uh, give them strength. Is there a music or an artist that you listen to that that does the same thing for you? Yes. I'm so obsessed with music. I love it. And and it's all for different reasons. But like I would say Kendrick is who I listen to the most. Kendrick and J. Cole. I love that um KOD album by by J. Cole. And because it, it there's so much about being addicted to so many different things, whether it's validation or substances or love or sex, and it's about he there's like one of the first things it's like, um life will bring you what does he say? Life brings much pain. You know, there are many ways to deal with this pain. Choose wisely. And I, I love things that feel uplifting, but also have have like a little message to them. So, yeah, hip hop has me conscious. Hip hop, I think, has me feeling um, all those ways. And then when I want to just listen to some amazing singing, I listen to Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey and be reminded of the best singers of all time, you know, yeah. like the divas I grew up listening to. I love it. Wonderful. Fantastic. Uh, thanks again. So thank well, you. are so thanks fun. For, thanks I was so going to say thanks for, for having us. We're happy to have you. <laughs> yeah, this was really awesome. Thanks again for, for coming on the show. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks. Never Surrender is produced by Western Sound. Executive producers are Jack Hergoth, Stephen Kramer Glickman, and Ben Adair. Producers are Sabrina Fang and Cameron Kell. Music by Hannes Brown. On social media, you can check us out on Instagram at NeverSurrenderPod, on Twitter at SurrenderPod, and on Facebook at NeverSurrenderPodcast. You can also email us at NeverSurrenderPodcast at gmail.com to share your own stories about how you struggled, failed, and ultimately never surrendered. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.